0: Michael Johnson. I am the uh, chair for the Great Rivers Field Office and a member of the Staff Retention and Recruitment Committee. Uh, On today's Campfire episode, uh, we will be discussing hiring for diversity. Uh, Before we start that, I just want to cue everyone back to a conversation that was on the August 31st release of Campfire. Uh, That was diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and that was hosted by Kimberly Miller. That is a a great uh, podcast to listen to as an accompanying piece to this. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to that already, uh, I welcome you to, to do so uh, either before or after uh, you continue with this one. Uh, so uh, without any further ado, I'm going to have the panelists today introduce themselves. Uh, so uh, please go ahead.
1: My name is Susana Margarita Cruz. And I'm the Activities Director for Midwest Children's Burn Camp and Camp Monarch and the founder of Tikana and Nature.
2: Hi, good afternoon. My name is Dr. Nika White. I serve as the Lead Principal Consultant and Founder of Nika White Consulting. Um, we help clients to integrate into their business framework, strategic diversity, intentional inclusion, and a lens of equity. And today, specifically, I am here because um, American Camp Association is a client that we partner with.
3: My name is Doug Sutherland. I am the executive director of Brantwood Camp in Greenfield, New Hampshire. I've been uh, in the camping industry for about 20, over 20 years. I've only been at Brantwood Camp for one year, and that includes this COVID year. So I haven't really had camp yet at Brantwood, but I've been doing camp for quite a while.
0: Thank you all very much for that, of course, we are uh, not going to completely uh, tackle and knock out uh, all the issues uh, for hiring for diversity um, and diversity, equity, inclusion uh, with this podcast. Uh, We'll take some broad uh, concepts and kind of narrow them down the best that we can. Uh, But of course, as you know, this is uh, something that will require um, a lot of follow up on everybody's behalf. Um, and, and doing uh, some research on your own, because this is a, this is a, a very, very broad topic. With that being said, we're going to get started. Uh, the first question that I have for the panel, um, and I think we'll have Dr. White start with this, um, is what does diversity look like in a camp staff and how can camps identify their diversity needs?
2: So thank you, Michael, appreciate the question and the opportunity to join this panel. Um, So I think we have to first think about how and which um, diversity is defined. Um, Sometimes people will define it in a way that gravitates directly just to the optics of age, race, and gender, and while those are important dimensions of diversity, if we think about really the full spectrum of diversity, it's so broad, there's so many layers, and there's so many different dimensions, and so as a society, we have to become much more sophisticated in how in which we talk about and define diversity. So while I am amplifying that it's not just about the optics, it is important to attack the optics, and that's where I want to specifically focus um, with this question related to camp and staff. So understanding that camp is an experience that many of us who are gathered here within this panel believes is, is worthy of, of having everyone to experience. I think that when we think about diversity in camp, we have to pay close attention to the need to attack the optics. Who is missing from the table? Who is missing from the opportunity? Where are there barriers to access that prevents certain um, individuals and populations of people from being able to take advantage of a camp experience that I believe we all would agree is very instrumental in helping those individuals to grow and thrive and to to really find a pathway of trajectory towards success. And so it is about thinking about those underserved, underrepresented populations and making sure that um, camps are being intentional to help extend those experiences appropriately.
0: Thank you for that. Uh,
2: Susana? So I'm gonna lay it out just um, as a very like,
1: it's a very real term, is that for me, it's like seeing that variety in your humans. I mean, think about it like, um, and I know that other people that are on the on this call can also agree that when, you know, being in the camping world, and I've been in it since 97, it's not seeing that variety within your staff or anything, right? And just finding out like, Trying to make sure that your world, that your camp world, looks like the world around you, but in essence, like that's not always the case, right? Because really, you know, Dr. White was talking about underrepresented communities not being a part of the camping world. Well, notoriously speaking, like the camping world has not been for underrepresented, you know, populations, and you can see it in the staff, you can see it in the campers, and really, like, how can we mirror that world? By you know what what we have what us that are like underrepresented how can we make that happen um, and I just felt like you know I my world when I've been looking like my world in Dallas Texas in South Oak Cliff that is not you know in a low socioeconomic area did not look like the camping world that I have been a part of for years and for decades now so it's um, you know, it really, for me, I I really would have appreciated being able to see like from the top down, people that were doing that hiring, Um, at least in my eyes, from having that variety starting from the top.
0: Thank you very much for that answer.
3: Doug? That's, a, that's an interesting question for me because uh, I basically have grown up in the camping industry in New England. um, And co- I started out at a camp that was predominantly white and I was not didn't see myself represented there at all um but I stayed and I stayed and I stayed there at that particular camp for 10 years and then went to another camp that was even less (laughs) diverse um and then from there started to get a little bit more diversity as far as the campers go staff on the other hand not so much um I I spent a lot of years at camp being the only one um yet i stayed in the camping industry so um, what does it look like for camp staff you know it at least where in new england it it is what it is you know and you have the staff, you have the kids that are you know a wide variety a wide range of diversity you know um which is great you know but uh as dr white was saying but at the same time it's like do i see people that look like me or do they see people that look like them Um, and is that normal? And so what I look at it as is starting from, well, we, of course, we're diverse and like, well, how diverse do we want to be? And what does that mean for, you know, the camp? What does, what does diversity mean for you? If that means you want more staff of color or kids of color, well, get those staff of color and kids of color there, you know, however you got to do it. If that's what you want, do it. Um, so if, if that's what they're, how, how do they, how can cancer identify their diversity needs? Well, identify them. Like, what do you want? You know, do you want to keep it the way it is? All right. Well, there you go. Um, you're doing great. I guess. If you want to change it, we'll find those kids and find those staff.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I echo a lot of what you say there, Doug. I, as someone, I, I grew up, um, as a Black man in Southwest Kansas, I went to camp um, in rural Colorado as a child. Um, When I started working at camps, I started working in New England, um, and now I'm in rural Iowa. So um, I I frequently, uh, for a a majority of my life, has been the Black guy in the room or the Black guy on staff, you know? Um, And so what diversity means for me in those in those areas may look completely different for somebody um, who spent their whole life uh, in the Bronx, uh, for instance. So I I think that's one thing to consider that people uh, lose a lot of times is when we talk about issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, Ironically enough, a lot of times people think of diversity, equity, inclusion sort of monolithically. uh, And it's important to note that Uh, no matter where your camp is throughout the country, throughout the world, what diversity looks like to you is going to be significantly different than what it does to someone somewhere else. And it's kind of up to you um, as somebody, as the camp director or somebody who's hiring uh, for your staff as to what diversity looks like to you. And that's that's just more than race and gender as well. That's diversity in thought, diversity in ability, uh, all different types. So I think the most important part to identify when you're trying to figure out what diversity looks like is to make sure that you're not thinking about these issues in a monolith. Susanna, I have a question for you. Um, How can camps benefit from a diverse staff?
1: So what I've noticed when in, in real time, and I'm sure some of you have had this experience is like, you have a bigger talent pool. You know, you've got, you've got people with different perspectives that are coming in and you know, an increase you've got increased camper engagement and staff engagement. If you have people that are looking like yourselves and I know like both of you spoke on being the only one in the room and as a Latina, like I was the only one.
2: Same thing, you know, it's like,
1: mm-hmm. all right, we we get to be the token, right? And you know, it, it I don't rem- when you're talking about the monolith, like not your I'm not, like, I don't represent every single Latina in the world because we all have our different backgrounds. I happen to be Chicano so Mexican-American, and there are so many other groups under us, so I really can't speak for everybody. But I have noticed that, like, new perspectives and innovation comes from having that diversity because of the different, you know, even in programming the different games and the different things that people will come up with, like evening activities, um, how your mission statement, you know, it can be implemented based on your programming, you know, due to having a diverse staff can take that to the next level. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed was like, just having better decision-making because you have multiple different people seeing things. And You know, because if you have a traditional staff that is, you know, predominantly people lacking melanin and they have been in the camping world, in that particular, and as we all know, if people are at camp, they've been there for years. You know, they started out maybe as a camper, transitioned, and then moved forward, right? But if you have people that are seeing things from an outside perspective, having a different set of work skills, and having a different set of like, you know, just different mindset period that can bring something new to the table. It helps to make the decisions way better in policies and in just uh, the performance of what we deliver to children.
3: Thank you. Doug? You know, I, I, this, I, I love this question because when I think about it, I always think about it in the camp sense. And then but then I take it beyond that. So for the campers, um, the idea of having a diverse staff is, well, let me put it this way. If I had a uh, person of color that was applying to be a lifeguard, I would be all over that. Why? Because you don't see a lot of lifeguards that are of color, right? So I wanna show that to the campers. So that's the camper side. On the staff side, we I think in the camping industry, we tell ourselves that, You know, we're training next, you know, the next leaders, right? We're training, we're getting those young people ready to go out into the real world. Well, when they come to camp and they're surrounded by people that look like them, yet in the real world, that's not the case. Are we really preparing them for the real world? You know, yes, they're getting some of those decision-making skills and stuff like that. But are we preparing them for the real world? Because they will most likely, most likely, not be uh, they will not be the, um, you know, the the lacking the staff members that are lacking melanin. <laughs> uh, will they, they? It won't just be them that are out in those offices. They will they will have to work with other people. So how can camps benefit? Do the work that we say we, we want to do for our staff and campers. We want to prepare them for a you know a job outside of camp. You know and have experience that are they can only get at camp. Well, if they're only getting You know, working with people that look like them, that's not going to be the case when they go out into the real world. So um, that's what I feel like camps can benefit from having a diverse staff is actually doing what we say we do. Thank you, Dr. White.
2: So I was trying to think, what can I add to what Doug and Susanna have already shared, because the conversation has really been rich around this question. Um, I think that what has not been acknowledged, though, would be more of the benefits of inclusion, which I think work in tandem with diversity, while they're very distinct. Um, I think that we have to also consider um, the the benefits and the opportunity that inclusive camps can provide to those that are participating. And I really just equate that to the sense that we all have to feel like we belong, right? And it's hard for us to really feel like we belong in a space when we don't see others who look like us. That's how in which oftentimes we can relate. That's how in which we can make decisions about, um, am I valued here? Am I, do I have full opportunity for success? Um, Am I safe here? Psychological safety is really important for people. And I think the reason that I wanted to amplify belonging to this question of how camps can benefit from a diverse staff is, no one can show up at their best if they're always questioning whether or not they belong. And so even if we think about the staffers, perhaps there are some camp professionals that are what I like to refer to as the one the one in lonelies, right? They're the only ones that are maybe part of that um, that population that's within the, um, the, the, the camp professional world. And then um, when you consider the complexities of how in which they're navigating that, I think that it's fair to say that they probably aren't able to show up at their best all the time um, because no one can when they're questioned whether or not they belong. And then think about the campers, think about what their experience is if they look around and they see people that are in these positions of influence as camp directors and leaders, and they don't see anyone who look like themselves. It's hard for them to, again, aspire um, to even consider that as a career path themselves. And then we're just perpetuating this this cycle that um, continues to yield this sea of sameness where we do not have a high level of of representation that mirrors the community. And the reality is that there's a business case behind camp certainly being much more intentional to diversify um, because the relevance of camp has everything to do with a multicultural strategy. You do not have a growth strategy unless you have a multicultural strategy because the changing demographics of America, they're, they're upon us. And we're soon going to find ourselves where there is no racial majority. And so that in and of itself sends this strong message that um, the, the end users, the consumers, um, those stakeholders are changing. And so we need to make sure that from a camp perspective, we are thinking along those lines as well.
0: Thank you, Dr. White. I want to back up a little bit, a second. Uh, Susanna, did you have uh, something that you wanted to add to that before I ask a question, another question of Dr. White?
1: Uh, Yeah, just 'cause I I have two different sides of like my camping world, and I've noticed that in the regular like professional camping world, there is that very extreme like deficit, right? And then if you get on the side of the camps that have that are more geared towards like special needs and challenging illness or chronic illness, or if you have special interest camps. There seems to be more diversity, and I think it has to do with the fact that the kids that are coming to those camps, there are there is a lot of diversity. Um, I've been very lucky to see both the flip sides of that, and to see like to get it to be a part of like International Association of Burn Camp uh, because of Midwest Children's Burn Camp, and getting to see like I had in all of the ACA world had never walked in a room and been like, wow. There's so many people that look like us, like that are like, yes. And then like, I walk into IABC, you know, International Association of Burn Camps, and there was that diversity. So it's really kind of cool. And we could, as ACA, as like members of the camping professional world, be learning and taking note from a lot of these other special interest camps. Yeah.
0: That's a great point. Thank you for that. Um, So I wanted to back up, Dr. White, you made, you kind of made, when you're giving your answer, um, kind of a line, a distinction between diversity and inclusion. Um, Can you explain uh, to the listeners uh, what you feel the difference? Because we're now in in the time of of using acronyms for everything, we hear DEI a lot and to open up this podcast, I mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you explain to the listener the difference between the three?
2: Absolutely, and I'm glad we're we're backing up, um, Michael, because language is important. And I think that it is um, necessary to make sure that we all have a common language that we're using as we're defining these terms and talking about them. So the way in which I like to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion is first, let's talk about diversity. It is really a point of respect in which things differ, period. And um, I find, again, as I mentioned before, that oftentimes we will use diversity as a way to start really giving emphasis to certain demographics and populations. But quite honestly, it is just a point of respect in which things differ. So it's definitely relational in nature. Where I feel like people um, are are gravitating to when they use diversity to talk about um, very specific underrepresented populations is um, the, the thought of representation and there's, there's an alignment there. So the bottom line is that we don't have to do anything to create diversity. Diversity is already here and happening, right? We do have to do a lot to create good representation to mirror the communities that we want to serve and that we are currently serving. Inclusion is very action oriented. So we do have to put a lot behind um, you know, inclusion in order to create those spaces where people feel a sense of belonging. And that's where we are intentional to leverage and to harness difference in order to achieve greater outcomes. Um, And what it looks like is, you know, oftentimes people will describe it as, you know, diversity is being invited to the party. Um, Inclusion is once you're at the party, you're being asked to dance. And then you're hearing, you know, your song, maybe on the playlist, you're being invited into conversations where people are introducing you to those you did not show up with. Um, It's just this very intentional, um, proactive stance of of really leading with um, the, the notion that you want everyone to have a sense of acceptance and belonging. And then, in equity which oftentimes falls right in the middle. Um, it's it's most often um, I think uh, at least I find that it's it's often used interchangeably with equality but there is a significant distinction so let me kind of talk about both of those. We've been conditioned um, as a society to treat everyone equal and fair and there's great value to that. But what equality does not take into account is that um, everybody does not start at the same place. And so if the goal is success for everyone, we have to consider that each person may have different needs, different circumstances that have to be taken into account. And that's when equity comes in. If equality is the hope for end, then equity is the means to get there. And it requires us to think intently about what are the circumstances of each individual and how do we give them what they need in order to be successful? And what those resources are can look vastly different from one person to the next. And so that's how I, I categorize the distinction between um, the, um, those, those key phrases that we hear often around this broad important conversation of diversity.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I know this is a, an audio-only uh, medium, but I call back to the, uh, the picture that's become famous now of the uh, the children watching a baseball game from beyond a fence. Um, and the fence is not the same height for everyone, and it shows the differences in diversity, equity, and inclusion by showing how you kind of make it where everybody can, can see and enjoy the game. Okay, uh, Doug... Where are some places that you look for staff members that help you in achieving diversity within your staff?
3: You know, the the very first place I think that, and again, this is coming from camps that, uh, around me, um, and I guess it, across everywhere also, but it comes from your campers. You know, I think that's the first place where you're going to find people, in general, <laughs> that have already, um, you know been a part of your community and they know what it's all about and they want to continue that on. The problem though is that I think that um, as administrators, we don't follow up on those campers, right? So they may need, those campers may need a little bit more of a push to continue into the realm of being on staff, right? So, uh, or maybe not a push, maybe it's more of a, you know, a hand to say, you know, to come here, this is a valuable experience. Um, maybe that has something to do with money, you know, maybe a higher salary. Um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, if it's something I don't have at camp, I need to pay for it. So uh, if I need want more diversity at camp, I need to pay for it like anything else, you know? Um, so one place, the first place I would look is within my camper population. Uh, and the second place would be any of my staff that are uh, of color, uh, for, let's say, for in a general sense. Um, see if they, why are they coming back? And why don't you bring your friends and really give an incentive for that? And then beyond that, I think that's where it gets hard. So if you don't have a, uh, a, staff, a staff, if you don't have staff members of color and your camper pop, uh, campers of color are not coming up into it, where do you look for them? Well, you pretty much have to go to where they are. You know, and you have to really reach out to where they are, make it very, make a big incentive, I guess, to get them to camp. The problem is also uh, in a lot of, you know, I work at an overnight camp in the woods, you know, um, and. I think that a lot of families of color either don't want to be in the woods, don't want to be in the woods of New Hampshire, don't want to be, don't want to be, don't want to be, I don't get paid enough, don't and, and I'm going to take this internship that's going to take me further and all this all these other things which makes sense, you know, it makes sense. Camp has never been an option for them. Those are the harder ones to get in. and you may get let's say one or two and you're bringing them into a community where they're the only one or two. And then they don't want to stay. So it's like it, it's tough, so I, I think the first two levels are essential. Get your campers of color to want to be junior counselors of color or CITS of color, and then have them be staff members of color. And really, and the ones that are standing out, pull them along to be the program director of color. You know, just keep pulling them along, as opposed to saying, "Okay, we got my year out of you, and you're on the website now because I needed some staff members of color, and here you go." You know, um, so I. At the first two, that's where you have to start. If you don't have that, it's definitely going to be harder, but you have to get them in and make them comfortable like any other staff person in order for you to, to get the diversity you want on your staff. In my opinion. Yeah,
0: the, I, I echo that. I think that's one that, especially for private camps, um, non-agency camps, I talked to a lot of directors and they ask me the same question. That's the first thing I say, you know, camper camps are, are very, proud about how many staff members that they have that were that were past campers right and then they ask well why can't i find a diverse staff it's like well what are your campers what does your camper population look like are you working hard to, when you're going to recruit those seven eight nine ten year olds to find kids that that reflect the diversity that you want in your staff it's very important that that they mirror each other especially if you are one of those camps that really hold up uh which i think most camps do uh, how many uh, former campers are on your staff. Susanna, go ahead.
1: So I've gotten to see like a couple of different ways for this to be a thing. Um, lately, um, I've been involved with a lot of community groups like grassroots level here in Dallas. And some of those are are out there and that's a really good way to find people that are you know already like doing things for the community, really have a bigger purpose um, in mind and it's an untapped resource that we don't realize is there. Um, social media is huge for that. And that's how I found out about this one for, well, backtrack, cause they found out about me and that's how they reached out uh, because I am, what I'm doing now is Douglas, you were talking about the families of color not wanting to go out in nature. And it's because they're like, many of them don't, are scared and have not that knowledge set. So that's what I've been working on with Chicana Nature is helping people to learn about that in our own communities because we do have green spaces here. And so trying to combat what's been happening so that we have people that are in the future coming up. So so we don't have those one or two, right? Um, the other thing that I noticed a lot is at churches. Churches were huge for us to be able to, um, I worked at a camp on Lake Tectoma for a while and and that's on the north end of Texas, it's right on the border of Oklahoma and Texas. And it is, um, it's isolated. It is not, a, it is there, are, I was like in the, I think it was like 0.1% or some craziness. <laughs> so I had my, my driver's license there, but getting the staff members to come out, the way that we were able to get them to is because we had church groups that were coming out. And the church groups, especially the Spanish speaking congregations, because I was there, wanted to send their kids there because there was somebody else there. And so in turn, they also wanted to get their kids, their teenagers out of the house and knew that there would be a role model for them. Um, So they were like, all right, so good churches are untapped resources. And even if their kids don't go to church, those people have kids or grandkids. That might be interested, and many of them are pushing their kids to be in college, whether it's community college or you know, or a regular traditional college. And community colleges are another one that's huge. Like people don't understand that there are t- there are students there, young adults that are kind of bumbling around trying to figure something out. And us really, I know this is gonna sound weird, but marketing that life, those camp life experiences that they would never be able to get. High ropes, lifeguarding, you know, boating, things that you know we wouldn't get to do if especially if you're coming from, you know, lacking funds as well. So that it's, when I start talking to people about these kinds of things, they're like, wow, you did all these things. And I'm like, because I can't like if I if I hadn't been able, like if I didn't work at camp, I wouldn't have done it. So Offering those kinds of experiences, tapping into like what is it that you like to do, what would you what would you want to do, and offering that up as you know something because then giving them more of an opportunity to be involved with those activities, um, and just like college campuses are always the place, but at the same time, the people that are going to go to those camp like those camps, um, you know, tabling are not going to be people that look like us. So really I wound up like when I found staff members, it was on a regular day when people were walking by <laughs> outside of lunch and I'm throwing candy at people <laughs> like, <and laughs> like free candy. You don't even have to come and work for me. I just don't wanna carry it back to my car. And so people were be like, who is this person? And what is that? And it was a regular day of just like them figuring things out. And that that's when I was a volunteer coordinator and getting people to come out. And it was more people of color that were signing up because they're like, all right, like, let me, you got my attention with free and uh, you have my attention more with activities. So really that's where I found the, the most success in finding staff.
0: Thank you for that. Dr. White.
2: So I think that what Doug and Susanna have shared is really good. I, I think that what I want to focus on though with this question is um, more about the process. And and I, I, I say that because I think that oftentimes part of our challenge um, that creates a barrier for a diverse applicant pool is what we are not doing leading up to the point of need. And when I say need, I'm talking about when we have to fill a role, oftentimes it's it's when we need that person in that role immediately. And it, it eliminates us from having this um, this runway of opportunity to really cast the net wide and to build our networks, and so I think that we always need to be in this mindset of building a pipeline. And the process begins again well beyond the point of need. Even how and which are you getting the word out? Who are you talking to? Sometimes there's transferable skill sets that people may have instead of thinking about the more traditional route of people that have always worked with you know youth, or there could be some other aspects that I think that sometimes um, it it prevents us from thinking more broadly. Um, I always say hire the best person for the job, hands down, where I think that a lot of organizations are challenged is in their lack of due diligence to create a diverse applicant pool. Um, There's, I'm, one of the things that I often will encourage clients to consider would be the Rooney rule, which is familiar um, to probably this group because of its existence within the NFL. But it's where you tell those hiring managers, look, we cannot fill this role unless we have a certain number of people that are part of these underrepresented populations that are being considered. And I think that what that does is it it allows those hiring managers to not necessarily gravitate to the excuse, I don't know where to go to find them and they figure out where to go to find them. And I think that's really important, and so that—that's what I would offer up.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah, that's a—that's a great idea. Oh yes, go ahead, Doug.
2: Yeah. Um.
3: One thing I wanted to add is uh, this my My full plan this past summer, even though it didn't happen, was you know I had a I had a very uh, racially diverse uh, applicant pool and staff members coming on, um, where it always kind of. I hit a snag sometime as international, you know? so I made it a point to look for international staff of color. They're there, you know, maybe they're not from the country that you always get staff from that are always great. But, you know, maybe it is looking at, you know, South Africa, maybe it is looking at Jamaica, Uh, maybe just looking for it um, and making sure that comes to camp. I think camps need to be intentional Saying this is what we're going to do, not oh well. If we find one, great, you know. But no, we will find them because I think if camps put the energy into it and the commitment to it, they'll find them. They just have. It it does take more work up at this point, and at some point, you know, I don't know. In the next, let's say anywhere from two years to twenty-five thousand, I don't know years, it won't be a it won't be a thing anymore. It's just these are the these are people that are applying and. It's a diverse group because we always get a diverse group we always have diverse campers it'll just be what it is but it's not there yet so we really have to be intentional about what we're looking for and how we want our camp to look
0: yeah doug when i hired i I did exactly that I, i know not every camp has the uh means or ability to hire internationally but it really is a great way um if you're again if you're looking for we i want to be clear about the racial diversity amongst your staff one of the ways you can achieve that um is hiring and so what i did is we made a a practice never to hire any more than three or four um, staff members from one country. So because of that, we hit several countries. We normally had about 15 different countries represented um, every year on our staffing pool. So we did hire staff from Africa, from the Caribbean, uh, from Asia, uh, and from Central and South America. And the ability to do that is out there um and, and there are great staff members uh that are that are there waiting to be willing, waiting uh to come and get the same opportunities as our internationals from from uh the united kingdom and uh australia as well so the ability is there i also want to call back to something dr white was talking about um when, we, when you're looking for different staff um one of the things that, that we are doing on the uh, staff re- uh, recruitment and retention committee. They're talking about uh, the language that we're using when we're hiring to make camp jobs uh, more attractive uh, to people outside of what we normally think of people um, that could benefit from working at camp, you know, uh, using the soft skills, uh, using the soft skills that people learn at camp um, as recruitment pieces for for others. So looking, you know, when you set up a booth at, at a at a job fair at a school, you know, you're getting a lot of education, maybe maybe outdoor rec majors, but there are different ways that you can uh, market your positions in your camp, uh, that you can get uh, actuaries or engineers or, or things like that. Uh, apparel textile marketing majors. Uh, those people are out there and those camp apps, I, I think all of us that work at camp, we believe in the power of camp, uh, but you do need to be intentional about the language that you use and think about how you can broaden that language to attract uh, a, a broader swath uh, of employees. Okay, uh, Dr. White, we're gonna start with uh, with you on this question. Um, how important do you feel Um, that your printed materials website and multimedia reflect diversity?
2: So that's an interesting question. And I have a background in marketing communications. And so I, you know, I I often marry the two roles of uh, Marcom with DEI. Um, I think it's critically important, but it definitely should not be done in a manner in which it does not represent the reality of the situation. I think that people can see right through that. I know of a number of organizations that will gravitate towards stock photography only just because they realize that yes, we, we don't have a good um, level of, of representation across many different demographics. And so we're going to cheat a little bit and just you know purchase some stock photography. And um, people see right through that. And so I think that where the focus needs to be is on, um, creating that diversity so that you can use real pictures and that people can really see that you are committed to it. Otherwise, I think that it just hurts your credibility. Um, But I also think that you need to be very intentional about where you're placing your brand um, and your marketing communications, um, because that also has a lot to do with your reach of diverse constituencies. Um, And so are you just going to the normal places that's going to continue to keep attracting the same type of individuals? Or are you thinking more um, broadly about... um, what are some other media and other ways in which you can um, ensure that your message is being presented to to those who wouldn't likely just see it by going directly to your website? So I think there's kind of a, a two two prong approach um, when we think about this question.
0: Thank you, Susana.
1: I definitely agree with you, Dr. White, and um, <laughs> having. <laughs> having I mean, had to see some of these things firsthand with people using stock photos and also like me being in a lot of photos to like apply that diversity across the board. And it was like, I'm I'm still, I'm still light-skinned. Nobody can see this except y'all. But I, when I haven't been out in the sun, like mine goes away because I got freckles. Um, but it is it's very interesting because some camps will also, kind of, uh, they'll also utilize photos from their outdoor education programs, where they're kids that are coming in in from diverse communities, for their marketing for for summer camp where there isn't as much diversity, and really like that that's that's a slippery slope there for many camps, and they have to be careful about that because sometimes they could be setting up their campers or future campers for that moment of where we have all experienced, right? And I really, really feel though, that if we are going to be like using these photos and they really need to be real life from that particular like camp program. Um, I That's just been one of my peppies over the years of having seen it um, that, you know, what are, what are we really, What are we really trying to say? Are we trying to set people up for failure?
0: Thank you. Doug?
3: I think that printed uh, printed materials website, um, as uh, Susanna and Dr. White have spoken about, um, it just needs to be real. You know, it needs to be exactly what it is. And, you know, I I have done a lot of research on camp websites just trying to see uh, as far as website design. Right. So I like that that they do this on their website and, you know, how can I use this on mine and so and so forth. But it's interesting when you get on there and you see, you know, there's a picture of a group of kids. There's one black kid and you kind of or a kid of color and you scroll through and then there's that same kid again. It's like, okay, and then you go like, oh, wait, different shirt, but same kid. And I was like, okay, you know, or it's, you know, it's just completely absent. And, but their written materials talk about having diversity on their, at their camp, but you just don't see it. Now, I definitely understand talking about it is one thing, showing it if you don't have it. Well, you're trying to be real. This is what we are. We want to be different. Okay. So we just need to work on that great. So it's going to take some time. You have to get the kids and the staff members there to really change how your printed materials and website and all that stuff looks. And I get that. And if you don't have it, you know, you go to the stock photography stuff. Like, okay, well, yeah, but but now you're not presenting what you actually are, you know, so, but you're trying to pull in those campers. I have been a part of lots of camps. I shouldn't say lots of camps. Uh, two camps, <laughs> I should say, that have had, um, you know, that the, they didn't use stock photography or anything like that, but they wanted to, um, you know, make sure the pictures represented. So like I've done a lot of ropes courses in my life. So when I look at a picture of a ropes course, what I do is I look, make sure that carabiner is flipped the right way, make sure that harness is, uh, is attached correctly, make sure that knot is right? Right. So I do the same thing. I do the same thing with uh, pictures of you know diverse kids. Like okay, so you know there's uh, one kid of color and ten uh, white kids. Huh. All right, well, you know that was that one kid of color that was there this week. It's a great picture. <laughs> well, that's what we, I guess we'll have to go with. Do I bring in? You know, let's get some more kids of color in this picture. And now is it fake? You know, just because I had to pull them in to you know to you know, do friendship bracelet making, and they, they, were, they were rather go play soccer. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, how do I make, I want to make it real without making it fake, but I have to make it maybe somewhat fake in order to show the true diversity at my camp. It's a very strange line to walk, but you have to, you have to look for those things, I, I, would, I would say. You know, I don't have a big marketing background, but um, I do know what I, what, I, what I want to look for, even for my own daughter. To go to camp, and if, uh, she's just at the age where she can go to the camp that I can work at now, that that I work at now. Um, but before that, you know, I was looking at pictures like, okay, this is, this is, this doesn't seem real to me, or it is very real, because there aren't a lot of kids there, and or a lot of kids of color there. Why? Because I'm in New Hampshire. You know, so I, I can't expect that if it was going to camp down in New York or even further, <laughs> Virginia or you know further south, then okay, I should see something, but. This is up in New Hampshire. So I got to gauge what I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, I, I think the motivation for the, that question being asked, uh, if I could interpret something that I don't know the answer to uh, exactly was, I, so how do I show uh, diversity if I don't have diversity? And is it important um, that we, is it possible for us to attract uh, diverse candidates. Um, if what we're putting out there, if we say we want to achieve diversity, uh, but we don't have anything that reflects current diversity, um, how do how do we how do we uh, kind of build that bridge? Dr. White, can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yes, and I'm so glad you asked this question, Michael, because it's something that I know a lot of organizations grapple with. But I think there's value in being authentic. Um, and, and, and leaning into the organization's vulnerability to communicate, this is where we are, but we desire to improve upon this. This is our commitment to the steps that we're taking in order to improve upon this. And this is where we are now. And I think that people will respect and appreciate that versus someone trying to you know, pretend that there's this, um, this great level of diversity and inclusion that's happening across the organization. Um, And so I, you know, I I always say, let's just acknowledge it head on. And you're going to slowly but surely find some people that you approach that are willing to be those trailblazers. I think about Doug on this call, where he said that he's been in this camp world for 20 something years. And for the longest, he was the only, you know, maybe professional of color that was in that particular setting, but he's still there. There are trailblazers out there that want to help get in there, make a difference and bring others along. So I think that the biggest challenge, though, for many organizations is not not knowing how to trust the the thought leadership and the suggestions and recommendations of their professionals of color or the professionals that are part of those underrepresented populations to be able to take what they're saying to heart and to move it towards action. So that's, that's what I would offer up. You do have those trailblazers out there.
0: Thank you. Uh, Susana, have you experienced any significant barriers to achieving uh, having a diverse staff uh, what are some of those and how do you overcome them?
1: Well, <laughs> I'm just gonna speak from what my experience. Honestly, it's leadership. It has been like it is a trickle-down effect that I've seen when it comes to how things like stop and how things do not progress forward. Um, because like Doug, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, oh a you know, a director would have gotten like a year out of somebody who was of color and then it's like okay that's it they're not following up and making sure to keep them engaged or making sure that they show up for any activities that might happen throughout the year that you know are the reason that people come back right and that and I've seen it happen like way too many times where it was like all right well we'll just like fill that quota later and I don't want to say who I was working for at the time that I heard that before and it was like what? <laughs> hold on, wait a second, like, that's not okay, and we, like, it was seriously problematic, and I was, like, I know that Dr. White, we were talking about, like, being trailblazers, I think, like, sometimes, like, those of us who are trailblazers um, will tend to, like, feel, like, the need to, like, we see a need, and we feel that need, And it may be like, really, it can be detrimental to us, like even in the process of it, because sometimes we hit that glass ceiling and that glass ceiling isn't breaking and you only get so far. And, you know, like, whether it's because like, oh, well, we felt like, and they'll never say it, we felt like there needed to be a male in this, or we need or we need somebody with more experience in leadership well, who are the ones that are going to have more experience in leadership or the ones that, you know, well, they've been given that opportunity. Now, if we haven't been given those opportunities and, and offered those opportunities or even, like, made aware that those opportunities exist, then we're not going to ever have those experiences. And that's where I've seen, like, where diversity has just, like, not been there. Um, the other thing that I've seen, like, you know, our barriers, are. Are like and, and I'm just gonna speak for you know the the Latinos that I know, the Latinos that I've seen, having that fear of not wanting to go to somewhere where they've only experienced it in movies or, you know, and I'm from Texas and I was just in an area of Texas that is close to Jasper, Texas. So if anybody's familiar with what happened in the nineties in Jasper, Texas, that drive even to Even like this past weekend in 2020 was frightening because of the things that I saw on the way there. So I can only and I and I know where these other camps are here in my region, and the and the things that our people would have to drive through to like get to these camps. That if you're first unfamiliar with things and don't have the knowledge for it, that is already um like frightening. Add on the other stuff. Add on the stuff that you see, like the blatant racism that is going to be right there as you're driving through these towns. That is a barrier for our staff, for our campers, and the parents for sure who are going to be like wanting to send their kids. And if they see that, they're going to be like, whoa, I don't want to send my kids to somewhere like this. I'm worried about my child. And then, you know, and then of course, like the past media even within, like, I'm a part of Gen X, and, you know, what did our people know if they weren't growing up with this kind of experience of going to camp? Like, <laughs> that's where scary movies happen. And that's that's where, you know, people base their stuff, uh, base their ideals in, is, is what they've seen, like, in fiction or, like, stories that people pass down. I are like, in, in, like, my culture and the Mexican culture, La Llorona, Chupacabra, Jucuy, we have these, like, Nightmarish things that are in nature out there outside and and it's like well just chill out because that's really not what's going to happen when you're out there in nature so it's like you know trying to like these are the barriers at least that I've seen um and what like what any one of us who has been in this can sometimes like have to reaffirm for people is that like hey like let me assure you that like, I've been out here for a while. I haven't seen the Chupacabra at all. Like, you know, just like whatever I can do to help them along and push them a little bit further. But that's what I've seen as barriers.
0: Thank you for that. So Dr. White, how would you address a camp director that, that said to you, uh, you know, I am a white woman who has lived my entire life um, in Westport, Connecticut. And I can't seem to get people uh, to listen to me when I want to hire, when I want to hire a diverse staff or even, you know, it's the same thing. Again, we, we think about these racial issues in a monolith and I want to do that. So it's the same thing. You may have a uh, Latino uh, camp director um, who has like lived his whole life in his community and all of his campers in his community, but he wants his people in his community to uh, to find more diversity, He wants to hire diverse staff, and he doesn't feel like uh, that he can reach out uh, and make him or his camp attractive to to the people that he's trying to recruit. What advice do you give to directors in that position?
2: So I think that um, the first thing I would share is those directors need to think about who, who's in their network, you know, who can they call upon to present this narrative and um, have those individuals to receive it in a way where they want to kind of step in and help. Um, you know, what you, what in essence you're asking those individuals to do is to help provide some solutions. And most often those individuals are people that perhaps have some type of um, pathway to those um those constituents that are being underrepresented that perhaps they want to be in the consideration set. So you have to, you know, make sure that you are presenting yourself and your situation um, in a way that comes across as, as, again, very authentic and genuine. Um, And for me, oftentimes it's about having that count the cost conversation. Well, what are you willing to do? And then once you kind of dangle out there some of those very specific action items to see how in which they respond, you know, are you willing to cast the net wide? Are you willing to put some procedures in place to make sure that you're hiring managers or even you are adhering to best practices that allows a diverse applicant pool? And if you aren't willing to do that, then that's very telling. It's it's, it's solving for something without fully being committed to the longevity of it. And, and i think i I think there's a difference between activity versus impact, you know, activity is has a start and end date impact is where we really look at systems, policies, procedures, culture, that's where you really move the needle and get the job done. Um, you know, I think that oftentimes, too, we have to consider that when we are in this remote work situation, I know that, you know, a lot of camps, obviously, you have to be proximate to each other, but camp has had to really even reinvent itself in some regards with the global pandemic. And so one of the things that a lot of employers are finding to work to their benefit is uh, now that that um, you can be successful with remote work type situations, which so just really depends on um, what the what the industry is. Um, But there has to be a personal commitment to it. It starts at the personal level. If there's no evidence of that, then people are not going to be willing to try to extend their network to, um, you know, to convince people to be in the consideration set.
0: Thank you for that. Doug, we've established kind of what your place is in the camp world, uh, being a Black man uh, in, in the Northeast. Um, in the camp world that you're in. I'm interested um, your opinion and your take on, on uh, the barriers to achieve a diverse staff. Like what, uh, if any barriers have you had, of course, you've had them, we all have, mm-hmm. um, but what do those look like for you and how have you uh, worked kind of a, uh, around or through them?
3: I think, um oh. I um, one of the big the main barriers I've had personally is um, it's not a barrier it's it's a barrier but it's also um, a you know springboard too I guess in some ways where I was the only one and I can remember when I first started at camp in 1999. I I made a point to go to the director and the assistant director and tell them that I don't speak for all black people. Right? They didn't ask me. I don't I don't know if they were even thinking about it, judging by the look on their faces. They were they were kind of shocked that I would even bring it up. I'm like, but here I am. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, a predominantly black town in St. Louis. Come out here to New Hampshire. And I'm like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. My family's like, really? <laughs> like yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to let them know that, and and it, and it camp was fine after that. You know, I I loved it obviously because I've been in it ever since. Now, so uh, so the barrier is being the only, being one of very few. I won't say the uh, very few, um, but at the same time, it did offer a lot of um, you know people to, that will look at myself and others coming into this uh profession differently i hope you know so it i wasn't one year and done i wasn't two years and done you know i'm still 20 years i'm I'm keeping this going you know um so and and you know as far as my wife wants me to open up my own camp and i'm like i'm good with executive director you know i don't want to (laughs) go but who knows what will happen in the next 10 to 20 years but so um so barriers yes uh one of the main barriers is again in new england i keep saying that but in new england staff time off right so staff time off let's go to town woohoo and i go to uh peterborough new hampshire or um go to uh Wyndham, Maine, or Ringe, New Hampshire, or, you know, all these different places where I've worked, and there are not a lot of people that look like me, you know, so I stand out a lot, I stand out a lot, I stand out a lot, so, and um, I go back to when I first wanted to get my hair cut, you know, before I started doing it myself, because it was just, the it was just... It was just me, you know? like, I don't want anyone to do it. You know, and, I, and it, was, it was such an ordeal. This was back in college and in, um, the Northern suburbs of Chicago, where it was like everyone, all these white people gathered around to watch someone cut my hair. And like, just take the Clippers and go, man, let's just do this thing. I don't need a crowd around me. That's what it felt like. It's like, ooh, there's a black guy or ooh, there's a black guy. You know, that's how it felt. Sometimes that's how it actually was especially the "Mm, there's a black guy i gotta keep my eye on that guy and then it's of course this other uh let's say white staff members around me that didn't see it because they knew me and like oh you're the greatest you know we love you yeah 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 i know you do but i don't know about that guy over there you know i don't know about that cop over there i don't know about that woman over there because they look at their they're making me nervous probably because I'm making them nervous, but I don't know why I'm making them nervous and that's the the environment I was in so that's a barrier I think for uh, for the diverse staff and then it's just the you know just the general idea of you know what what can camps do at camp because you can't change the community around you just to accommodate you for a summer you know but what can camps do at camp to make it comfortable and that it all depends on the camp i guess you know and it depends on your staff members that are coming there and it depends on and the, i think it also depends on the staff member saying this is what i need and the, the director the executive director the administrator saying this is what we can do i don't expect camps to change their entire culture to accommodate a, a staff member of color however I would like them to be included, (laughs) you know. I would like that uh, to even even just have the conversation around it. So I encourage staff members to say something. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to do it, but I at least need to know what's going on. So then if I can do something, let me do it. If I can't, I'll let you know I can't do that. And if this is not gonna work for you, this won't work for you, but at least let me know. So staff members need to step up, not get mad, not get upset, not, you know, you know, uh, badmouth the whole camp because of this one experience, say something. I think that's the first step to get help directors kind of get on the same page as their staff members and make them feel like they're a part of what's going on, not just separate from it. And you're a staff member. You don't know any better.
0: Thank you. So, Doug, you mentioned a kind of a buzzword there that I want to take and and, and uh, delineate into something else. I, I think one of the things that each of us, I think, if we were to kind of boil this down, uh, you know, hiring uh, when it comes to uh, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion um, is not just kind of a one-shot thing, but it really comes down to what your culture is and what the culture that you currently have and what culture um, it is that you want to have. So, speaking to that. What are some effective ways that you address diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, Doug, during your staff training um, that helps you develop the culture that you're looking for?
3: I think the first the first thing, especially right now, is to talk about it. You know, I don't necessarily think you need to bring someone in to give a you know half hour, forty five minute, hour long lecture about how important that it it is um because one i think a lot of staff members nowadays are going to say yeah we know you know they may not be all on the same page but yeah we know this and they'll sit there maybe zone out so i think what camps need to do and during their staff training is don't hide don't hide from it you know talk about it you know let camps let your staff members know that this is as a camp we're doing this we're doing this this is where we're going to talk about, you know, and it's going to be very open. You're going to be upset. You may be happy. You may get disappointed, but know that this is what we we have to have this conversation. So for as, as a part of staff training, this is the training and it's a weird training because you know, like, yeah, maybe you bring someone in to help facilitate it. But I would say the facilitator just needs to stop talking, you know, and it's not, it's not just the, um, staff of color that need to talk. It's the non-staff of the non of color staff that also need to talk. You know, everyone needs to be a part of this conversation. Um, but and everyone also just needs to be heard. So that I think that ma- the first part of training is not someone coming in and say, yeah, you need to do it this way or else, or the director saying you need to do it this way or else. You know, they're all coming because you offered them a job and they accepted it, not because you are, um, you know, anti-racist, but maybe it's because you are, and maybe that may be part of it, I guess, too, but maybe, but you are offering them something they can't get anywhere else. Maybe you're paying them enough money. Maybe they like the activities that you're offering, whatever that is. And these are people coming from all over the place, really. And you're telling them like, and then you say, oh, we're all gonna think this way. And it's like, no, that's not gonna be the case. And any camp director that thinks just because I, any staff member comes there gonna think exactly how I think, they're gonna be sadly mistaken. So have that conversation. And yeah, some people may be upset by it, but then keep talking about it. You know, and then keep talking about it. And then keep talking about it. And at some point, this is just what we do. We can disagree, but it doesn't mean I hate you. It just means we disagree, right? So well, what can we do to find a place where we can agree? Because we will continue to disagree on this. I think if you look at the state of the world now, as far as the elections, not to bring that up really, but there are people all over the place that have <laughs> opposite opinions of something. And some, most likely those people are gonna be at camp together. So what are we gonna do about that? Are you gonna shut them down because you don't agree with them? No, have have, have, we have to have the conversation. So training, is offering some time to talk about it amongst everything else that you're talking about. You know, add to that the pandemic, the add to that COVID now. It's like, oh, come on. I just had everything in training I wanted now, and now I have to add, like, another day just so we can get all this stuff in. It's kind of crazy, right? But if we want to do it, we just have to start talking about it. We can't just say, oh, we're camp. We love everyone. Really? Really? I don't I, I know that's a goal, but you just can't. I want you to prove it. I, you know, I'm from St. I'm from Missouri. It's the show me state. You got to show me that you're doing this, right? You got to show me you're doing this. Um, but that's just me, and hopefully, other people will, you know, show it to show it to the staff members.
0: Thank you, Doug. Susanna, how do you uh, deal with culture building uh, during staff training?
1: Well, the, for me and and Doug, like. I don't know if you saw my message or not, but um, I went to Lindenwood and, uh, and also Midwest Children's Burn Campus in Missouri, so I definitely like my heart partially there, too. Um, really focused, like, because, uh, because Burn Camp, like, everybody comes there, and we have diversity in other camps that I have, I have had to deal with, like, it's very, it has not been addressed in this, in the manner that I've ever felt like it needed to be addressed, um, but at burn Camp, we really hyper focus on like, hey, like we're all diverse and we have like the myriad of colors there because burns don't just affect like one race or another, and that's the thing, like that's true, like there are, we got all of them, and it's pretty great to be able to say like. Not only do we have a diversity in our campers, but we have it in our own leadership. So starting from the top, which is Larry Conley, who is our, you know, who is our director and he is an African-American male who is a captain in the St. Louis Fire Department too. So he is very much about like trailblazing on things and wants us to focus on commonalities, Like he'll outright say like, we all know we don't look alike. We all know that we are not going to think like. And in Missouri, it's very conservative. And so there are just, there are going to be many different, very like stuff along the way. So the, we definitely like our biggest push is FTK. So for the kids. And it is one motto that even though there are that has been used in certain, like, certain areas as, like, almost like a guilt trip to, like, do your job because it's FDK. But in this sense, we're here for our kids so that, you know, because we want to make sure that we're modeling what we want to see them take outside of the world. We addressed this the year that we happened to, like, be dealing with everything that was happening in Ferguson Because again, like that happened to our, a lot of our kids, like that our kids in our burn community had to deal with that firsthand. And so we started out even then and it was like, okay, every year. Cause we had, you know, we've got first responders, we've got, you know, lots of different people that volunteer for us. So we like Uncle Larry is what we call him. He automatically like. Got at the the front of it and just said, you don't have to like each other. We have to respect each other. And we are one team. And it's okay if y'all aren't friends outside of here. And it's okay if you're not friends inside of here. But in front of our kids, we are one unit. And that is what we're going to do. And it is safety of our kids, emotional and physical, that takes the precedent over your ego at any moment. And that's where he like checks all of us. And I know it's like very, not necessarily what what many people might want when it comes to social emotional language, but it's really what has to happen. And then my job as the activities director and planning some of this stuff too, is making sure that I'm giving them like, we're gonna equalize everything because it can't, you're taking everybody outside of their community. (laughs) And you're placing them in the woods and they're all over the place when it comes to like some of them are really used to it. Some of them are not. And that's okay. So that equalizer is fantastic for making sure that you can start from the ground and build each other up when it comes to that team building. And then we also incorporate something called my new best friend. And we're intentional about making sure that staff members, when we plug them in together, that they don't know each other really well. That they are, you know, they don't look like each other either. And we're like, we work very hard to make sure we also help our kids, our campers, do that as well. And so the campers are watching us at all times because we are those professional role models. And we cannot label ourselves professional role models if we're not living up to that standard. And our kids, our kids sometimes will call us out. Because they know about the culture that we have been building for decades now. And so I'm really like that, really proud of what we've been working on there. And um, that's why, like earlier, I said, like, you know, special interest camps are one of the places where we could all learn from. Um, And I just happen to be a part of a really good one. Uh, That's how we handle it.
0: Thank you. Dr. White, I definitely want you to speak to uh, building a culture of equity and inclusion uh, during staff training, but I also wonder from you, um, is there anything that uh, camps uh, can and should be doing before staff members arrive to build that culture?
2: Yeah, so let me let me start with um, just sharing my philosophy about DEI training. You know, I I I most often refer to it as um, DEI learning and development. Um, I feel like training is often a, a one and done type situation. I think it's about a mindset of getting people accustomed to always looking to find ways to grow their level of inclusive leadership. And when I say leadership, by the way, it's not by position or title. You know, it's by influence, and I think that's important because we. Can lead um, and influence people from any direction within an organization. I think that we have to consider a strategy, a curriculum strategy around diversity, equity and inclusion and not just kind of a one and done that may occur um, at the start of you know, a, a year. We need to make sure that we're frequently introducing opportunities for people to grow their level of knowledge, not just in the theory of understanding the constructs of DEI, but more importantly, the application of it, the practice of it. I think that part of the disconnect for people is that um, we, sometimes a lot of the training is where we are just transferring knowledge and we're talking at people instead of talking with them and helping them to really know how to engage with this information to be able to put it into practice. And so I think that that's also an important element to consider. So skills training is is critical. You know, you want people to walk away with tools and resources that they can immediately begin to apply within their their leadership journey. I find that many individuals are even if you were to engage them that at their core, they certainly can talk about how they appreciate that some level of attention is being given to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But what I find is that they're passive about it and that they see it as the responsibility of someone else. So I truly believe that part of this learning and development experience to get people to engage with this you know, DEI in a deeper way, We're going to have to get them to own it and have them to see it as part of of their leadership competency, again, leadership by influence. And I think that's important. Otherwise, they will see it as solely the responsibility of um, the executive director to try to to figure that out. And I think the other thing for it is we have to make sure that as we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion that we are being fully holistic with it and we're institutionalizing it, which means that it needs to be fully operationalized throughout every aspect Of every organization. So it's not just about what we do in this particular fashion, but it's about how we do things, period. It's built into the DNA. And I think that's a different way to talk about it. So part of this is also helping to change the narrative. Let's shift the paradigm. Sometimes we see diversity, equity, and inclusion as an obligation where we're asking the questions, you know, what can we do to help advance diversity, equity, and inclusion? But we need to get people to a mindset where they're seeing it as an opportunity, whereby the question then becomes, how can our camp benefit? by diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then if we can buy into that, I think that it lends itself to greater propensity for success to be realized in terms of this very inclusive culture of belonging.
3: Great.
0: Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. So I'm going to be respectful of you all's time and of the audience, uh, the listeners' time. Um, I have one more question I want to ask uh, each of you, um, and then uh, that will be it. So the question I have is, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a big chunk question, uh, but I want to. It calls back to uh, the very beginning of the conversation. I think Dr. White and you, Susana, as well, spoke about uh, reaching out uh, to community community outreach. And the question that was submitted was, uh, "What suggestions do you have uh, f- uh, for uh, connecting with and building trust uh, in under and previous or uh, in underrepresented communities?" Dr. White, we'll start with you.
2: Goes back to what I said before, Michael. I think that we have to make sure that we are there and present beyond the time of need. Um, you know, sometimes we think, well, this is a camp experience, even for the camps that are, you know, maybe there's no cost at all. It's just sign your kids up and let them come. You know, sometimes I find that people question, well, this is a great experience. Why are people not coming? Because they don't see that what you have to offer is relevant to them. It's not enough just to build the building and say, now people come and partake. You have to make sure that you're building and cultivating those relationships, that you are aligning the experience with experiences that people can feel a level of safety around and acceptance. And so, That takes work. I think the reason that some people shy away from um, the work of inclusion is because it requires intentionality and it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. (laughs) And people begin to want these quick, easy, simple approaches and and that's not the case. And so, you know, build your network, form those partnerships think well beyond the time of need and not just in how in which you're going to be recruiting but also how in which you're shaping that experience. Um, And that that takes us getting outside our bubble. We can't assume that our lived experience is a lived experience of someone else that puts us in a position where we begin to dismiss the needs of others, particularly those that are part of vulnerable communities. Um, And those are the ones who are often underrepresented that we want to engage with. And so how can we get close and proximate to those issues, those barriers, those hurdles, and to appeal to them in a way to where they do feel that sense of safety and trust and they want to, um, you know, again, partake in, in, in the camp experience.
0: So well said. Thank you very much. Susanna.
2: Oh, you're going to make me follow that? No, I'm just
1: kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dr. White, you definitely like hit so many points. And it really is like, you're so right about building that network throughout the whole time. It's like making sure that you're out there in the community, not only the community that's around the camp, but in the community that your campers are coming from and like showing up to things. Um, showing up to, like, if you have an outdoor education program, like, showing up to some of the schools, because that sometimes was was a helper when it came to, like, the parent theme. Like, all oh, these people, like, that were here with our kids for a couple of days, we even showed up for our kids, like, throughout the year, and were want, willing to, like, send their kids out to a – sorry, we've got kids doing PE. Um, <laughs> but they were willing to send their kids out to camp because of, like, just us showing up. So, you know, being present and that way people aren't like, where is that? What is that camp that you're talking about? Um, So that, you know, your name is out there, your faces are out there and that, you know, that building that trust is, you know, a part of it. Like Doug Doug said, show me. You have to, you've got to be like in front of their faces to, to be like, hey, we're not just there to get your money because some people really like it, does cost some of our, you know, some of our campers money. If you're not lucky enough to have like scholarship programs or if you're not lucky enough to have grants that will cover that cost. But if you, you know, if you're able to like, it, it, this is an investment in your kid. So we need to invest in our communities.
0: Thank you, Doug.
3: Yeah, um, the the main suggestion that I would have is what uh, everyone has said so far is that you just got to do it. You know, you got to put yourself out there um, and put the same energy you would put behind um, that one camper's family that who's had Three you know they went to camp there their or their fathers went to camp there, their father's father went to camp there, you know, and you really go after them and you make sure that those kids keep coming back. You do home visits to their house, well do a home visit you know if you do that sort of thing um you know encourage organizations like a c a to have a you know if we ever get back to it, I guess have a camp fair in an underrepresented community, not the wealthy community, you know uh do it and do it on purpose and even say that you're doing it. I don't really care. This is me personally. I don't really care if you say that you're doing it because you're doing it. And at some point, like I said earlier, you won't have to say it because this is what we normally do. But right now, do it on purpose. Scream it from the rooftops. This is what we're doing. Great. You know, personally, I, am, I have made a deal with myself and a promise to uh, others that I'm not gonna be quiet anymore. So I don't expect anyone else to do that because I can't, I, I can't do that for anyone else. But I would hope that camps will stop being quiet. You know, I would hope that people in this country will stop being quiet you know, and letting things happen because no one's saying anything. Well, right now I'm saying something and I want people to know that I'm saying something and that I am looking out, not just for those campers of color, because that's not the type of director I am and ever will be. I'm looking out for my campers and most of those campers, a lot of those campers, some of those campers are campers of color and they matter to me. So I am gonna look out for them, not because they're of color because they're my campers, but also they are campers of color. So I feel like this is what I want to do. And if they're underrepresented, they won't be for long because that's my goal. And I want them to know that's what I'm doing purposely. I am doing it, that's my intention, with every uh, fiber of my being this is what I'm doing and I want them to know about it
0: thank you so much for that Uh, Susanna any last words to your fellow camp professionals or anyone else who may be uh, listening to this Vine podcast
1: yeah just be be open to to listening to your staff members uh, to listening to those who you um, have kept around that are people of color Um, that you may be kind of overlooking um, because if they're sticking around, it's because they also believe in the mission and want that opportunity. Uh, So give it to them.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Doug.
3: You know, I think of, uh, I don't know if it's ACA or ACA New England, but the whole idea of camp uh, gives kids a world of good. Let's do it. (laughs) You know, let's do it. So if it's a world of good, it's not, you know, this world, it's, a, oh, I'm sorry, you can't see it, but, you know, it's not a small world. It's a very big world. So if we're going to give kids a world of good, do it, you know, and, and do it on purpose and do it with feeling and do it because you know that it's the right thing to do.
0: Thank you so much. Dr. White, the last word is yours.
2: Um, Well, first, I I have certainly enjoyed um, this time sharing space with each of of the panelists. So thanks for having me. Um, I I think I just want to reiterate the importance of staying to course. This is a journey, not a destination. You should always be thinking about how can we elevate our leadership and commitment and take DEI to the next level. Um, It's also a marathon and not a sprint. And so I, I often encourage people to think about progress over perfection and let the progress that you make serve as momentum and traction to move you to the next level and after maybe more loftier goals. But, um, you know, we have to remain hopeful and remain um, flexible in that we are trying and willing to um, be innovative in our approach and creative and problem solving around this. There's not gonna be a one size fits all approach across the board, but dedication, I think definitely will um, serve us all well, so.
0: Okay. Well said, thank you so much. So I want to thank all the panelists for taking the time um, and sharing your wise words uh, with everyone. I wanna thank ACA uh, for recognizing that this is something uh, that the, the membership needs to hear. Um, and finally, I wanna thank uh, you, the listener, for taking the time uh, to download uh, and to listen to this. By by doing so, uh, you're helping uh, certainly with this. And, and I, I know that you'll take the words from our panelists and, and, and put them uh, to good use. So uh, with that being said, that is all that we have today. Thank you for listening to the ACA Camp Wire podcast and we'll see you next time.